Hello and welcome to You Me and the Economy. A place for news views and all that is happening in the arena of finance and economy. Curated by the Center for Financial Accountability. Hello. This episode of You Me and the Economy is part 4 of the series produced in collaboration with the Rosa Luxemburg Foundation. In this episode, you'll be listening to Raja Sen Gupta, who is a senior economist and are currently the head of India office of the Third World Network. In this episode, Raja will help us understand the current dynamics of the World Trade Organization and the politics surrounding the 12th WTO ministerial conference. In this episode, she'll also draw our attention on the long-standing issues concerning the developing countries. This year, you know, the ministerial is actually I would say one of the most political and the most difficult with very very contentious issues being pushed so developing countries have issues which were of interest uh, to them you know that that should have got a solution in this ministerial the big one is the waiver i mean uh, i'll come back to that but uh, instead of that we are seeing a big push back for further liberalization from the developed countries and and i mean they are pushing it through multiple tracks but i'll just come back to all those issues at the end today what i wanted to focus on is two kind of um, describe how you know this uh, these trade and investment agreements came about so one is the wto which was uh, signed in kind of it came into being in 1995 and then uh, we have also as uh, benny said a uh, whole host of so called bilateral or regional free trade agreements and all these together they sh- they were supposed to you know make developing countries more able i mean what's the idea behind globalization that the most efficient producer will produce so consumers all over the world will get it get all products at the cheapest price and therefore they will all benefit but what we have seen is that especially you know the way we have done these trade deals both at the wto and to these fta's we are increasingly unable to cater to our development needs we cannot meet our public health needs our food security and sovereignty needs uh, livelihoods access to resources and then as sonal said you know when the crisis came now we realize that you know we cannot produce anything that we need we do not i mean at least india produces some vaccines but even there we were having problems uh, getting the technology for example astrazeneca was getting the i mean covishield the the serum institute was getting technology from astrazeneca right but india has some capacity to produce vaccines but most developing countries and ldcs they actually do not they have capacity to produce but they do not have the technology because these are blocked off through these trade agreements right so uh, so now with covid we see that you know just a few countries like four countries they dominate all medical products so from ppes to masks to medicines to ventilators just a few countries produce and this was not supposed to be the case so the moment and we've seen it before also when we had food crisis you remember in 2008 then of course the few countries who were the countries who were able to produce food they were actually restricting exports right and that's understandable for example india did because it has a large population uh, inside india so then you know they are will you cater to your domestic population's needs or will you export but finally what it means is that we actually are not self sufficient in anything and the trade deals moreover what they have done is 
they've taken away our policy space because when, for example, now governments are trying to do something, they are trying to have this COVID response, you know, so-called for dealing with the pandemic, then for recovery. But the trade rules have actually bound our hands. And essentially, these have been very, very unfair trade agreements for developing countries. Now, of course, these issues are huge, but I will go through it quickly and I can share the PowerPoint later. So this is... Um, the WTO structure when it started. So there is uh, the agreement on agriculture, you know, which was about agricultural rules. The main thing it, they target these trade agreements is the import duties, right? So when we, for example, to protect our agriculture sector, we would put up these import duties. These are taxes at the border. That's how developed countries have developed. When they industrialized, they had very high import duties. But you will see this NAMA, which is about industrial goods, and the AOA, the Agreement on Agriculture, we have been told to remove our duties. Now, the developed countries have already, they have done their development, they have very low import duties, but we, where our agriculture sector is still sensitive, our industrial sector, we have infant industry, we are not allowed to give duties. So one thing, uh, the, these agreements, both AOA and NAMA, targeted is import duty reduction, and also subsidies. They say, tell governments that you cannot give subsidies. And you know, the agreement on agriculture, I think many of you know, since the beginning of the WTO, it's been very contentious because the developed countries have given huge subsidies. Anyway, with that, we had the GATS, the services agreement. It has not moved too much in the WTO. And then we have the TRIPS agreement. And I think now it's been a lot in focus uh, as I think uh, both... Um, um, Benny and Sonal mentioned, uh, because the TRIPS agreement uh, created patent monopolies. I will quickly explain later. So, uh, and which meant that, you know, only few companies who are the innovators, so-called, they have the technology, but often these technologies you will see, even for Moderna and, you know, AstraZeneca, Pfizer, a lot of public government funds go into it. But basically these companies, they, they have monopolies over the technology. And the TRIPS agreement makes it mandatory for governments to legally recognize these monopolies. You have to give them patent rights and other kinds of copyrights to the innovator company, but which means they can then, you know, they have monopoly control over production and also pricing. Anybody who has monopoly control, they can set the prices anywhere. And that's what the problem has been. Then there was also investment measures and many other agreements, but I think for us, what has been key is TRIPS, AOA, and to a certain extent, NAMA. But uh, the TRIPS agreement, so as I told you, what this has done is that because it has given monopoly rights, we have seen globally prices of medicines have really increased. And therefore, access to medicine had been severely compromised. Now, many countries like India, Thailand, and um, uh, some African countries also they produce what you call generic medicines, like copy medicines, right? But we have seen major push from the advanced countries because these big pharmaceutical companies, where are they sitting? They are sitting in US, they are sitting in EU, in Switzerland, and so on. So they have been really pushing uh, to kind of for governments to recognize these trips agreement when you have to give very strong patent rights. And once you give the patent, they have the monopoly, right? Now for COVID, we have seen that this has been a major challenge, but I will come back to it. 
But how was it's very interesting that TRIPS agreement was virtually written by corporations. Frankly, you know, TRIPS agreement didn't even belong in the WTO. It was supposed to be a trade agreement. It was mainly about exchange of goods and services. So, okay, agriculture, NAMA, even GATS, and a bit of even investment one can understand. But intellectual property rights didn't belong there. But, you know, there was this like a, a US had many companies, for example, IBM, Pfizer, they formed this group. And then there were like comparable groups in EU and Japan. And all of them then got together, lobbied with their governments. And Pfizer openly said, you know, our combined strength enabled us to establish a global private sector government network, which laid the groundwork for what became TRIPS. So they virtually, it was to protect their interests, their monopolies, and they pushed the TRIPS agreement into the WTO. But the interesting thing is, why did developing countries sign? I mean, it's not like we, we did not have especially the capacity then to develop any of these technologies. We were not owners of this technology. We were not exporting any IP products. So why did they sign? One is like it was put to them as like a, you know, like a set of agreements and you take it kind of together. The WTO offers this uh, MFN status. I mean, for long we have battled the WTO, but why do our countries still hang on there? They know, many developing countries know it's a very unfair agreement. But one is they get most favored nation status on paper, <laughs> like everybody's equal. So for example, tomorrow, if US wants, they cannot put up, for example, like say they cannot block say exports from India. But we've seen during the Trump regime that they can, frankly. And even when the negotiations happen, every country is supposed to have one vote, but you will, if you follow, heavily political. I mean, there's so much pressure on developing countries and especially LDCs to sign on to what rich countries want. So I would say this, even MFN status, it's there on paper in principle, but it really has not, it does not really work in the way it, it sounds very good, but it's not operating in that way. But the interesting thing was they were told agriculture is, you know, what is what developing countries produced. It was their area of interest. So they were told, oh, great, you know, you, you will get access to our agriculture markets. The US, EU were very interested in getting this WTO up because they wanted to have simple multilateral rules. And they told developing countries, we will give you market for your agriculture products. We will discipline the subsidy that we give. They used to give huge subsidies even then. And also the textile market where developing countries had interest. But so, so they said, okay, we will sell you industrial products, maybe some services, but you can sell us agriculture products. But frankly, 25, 26 years down the line, we see that has not happened either. And I will come back to it. We are still battling on major agriculture issues. And then other thing was the US was using, US has this article 301 in their uh, domestic law. This is on trade. So they are supposed to the US trade representative. So their trade office ministry is supposed to protect the interest of US companies through article 301. And if they see that these interests are being hurt, then they can actually take unilateral action. And we know many times when we have tried to actually, you know, use, um, uh, for example, bypass the TRIPS agreement, the TRIPS agreement also provides certain uh, flexibilities, right? Uh, that was uh, fought because after the TRIPS agreement was signed, 
countries realize that it's very difficult to then protect public health objectives, especially in poorer countries, if they have to recognize and give patents and give these patent monopolies. So then uh, in 2001, the Doha Declaration on Public Health was signed, where it was also again reinforced that TRIPS agreement gives certain flexibilities. One is government can issue something called a compulsory license. If they feel a medicine is very important and a medicine is very high priced because of the patent monopoly, they can ask other companies, they can give them a license to produce. So these were some of the flexibilities. And interestingly, when India, for example, issued a compulsory license, I think um, on um, uh, which product was anyway, then the US and uh, US really challenged them using 301. So when countries have legally used TRIPS flexibilities, they have been continuously threatened by the US and not only India, many other countries, whenever they issued a compulsory license, which is legally permitted, they were challenged by the US. So now what you see, where are we? We have lost from both the trips. Trips was never to our advantage in any case. We were kind of forced to sign because we thought we would make gains in agriculture. From AOA, we have actually lost heavily. So as I said, TRIPS compromises our access to medicines, vaccines, and healthcare. And in spite of the Doha Declaration, we are still struggling, right, even before COVID. But on the other hand, we have seen that in agriculture, because of the Western subsidies, that has caused massive damage to uh, agricultural production and livelihoods in developing countries. In the Philippines, for example, EU subsidized rice entered, they have this Cordillera region, very rich, great biodiversity, women farmers producing rice. They got hammered by EU subsidized rice, you know? And then they are also using then the free trade agreements now uh, to get duties eliminated and really enter our countries. So Shalini will speak more about the FTAs, uh, but India has also signed on to many of these FTAs, which means that once we remove, the FTAs are really targeting import duties, okay? So once those get removed, we will have flood of subsidized products coming from the EU and US. As Benny mentioned, we are negotiating FTAs uh, with the EU for a long time. And then we are like launching negotiations with UK and US. And once that happens, you can be sure our duties, the only protection for us is import duties because we cannot give high subsidies nor can we raise standards. So subsidies and standards are the ways rich countries protect their own, not even farmers, it's agribusiness, right? And fish, fishers who are also industrial fishers, frankly, they're companies doing fishing. So that's how they protect. We protect mainly with import duties. So the WTO talk on import duties, both on agricultural products and industrial products, saw a lot of fight and it has not moved much, but the FTAs will really see elimination of import duties. And then we will see an even bigger challenge to our agriculture, fisheries, and many other, and even industrial production for that matter, okay? So, so I'm saying you can see the unfairness of the WTO. We suffered through both the TRIPS agreement and the AOA, and also now fisheries subsidies disciplines, which are being discussed now. So the TRIPS agreement, I already told you that, uh, so, and, and we have seen that, you know, because of the TRIPS agreement, uh, marginalized communities are hurt even more. You know, when your broad trade rules are unfair. So, for example, when your medicines are more expensive, 
And one major area it had targeted is HIV AIDS medicines. The prices really increased. Wherever government had to give patents, India resisted for a long time, but then they also had a patent law. Uh, but whenever you are forced to grant patents, generic companies cannot produce cheap medicines. And overall, medicines are very expensive. So for example, I've talked to you know HIV uh, uh, affected couples where the woman is giving up treatment because the medicines are so expensive. So this will always hurt weaker communities, rural poor, you know, like indigenous populations, women, and so on, who are economically, socially more, less powerful, and they will be paying a bigger price. Now, as Benny said, I will just quickly go through this because tomorrow I know Ravi will talk about the current issues that uh, we are going into the ministerial with. He will talk about these issues in detail. But India, South Africa put in this waiver proposal last year to say that, you know, at least on COVID-related products like vaccines, you know, Moderna, uh, Pfizer, they, they are now still applying for the patents. In US, they're already having a problem with the Moderna patent. Like news is coming out how US government is facing problem. And that's why these vaccines are very high priced because they hold the patents on these, right? And they will apply for patents in other countries also. So the thing is, what the proposal said is that for COVID-related products, like even diagnostics, it may even be ventilators, it may be medicine, like remdesivir, patented everywhere. You know, it was very expensive, though frankly, it's actually useless, remdesivir, but still, we paid, do you know, in Delhi markets, in black markets, remdesivir was being sold at six times the price because it was patented. So India, South Africa proposed that at least for these products, let us not abide by the TRIPS agreement. So they don't have to recognize patents and so on, which would have freed up the technology. And then, you know, actually their producers, of course, in India, China and so on, but even in Africa, like many countries said, we can produce if we get the technology. But you know, the technology has been the biggest battle and the main objective of the TRIPS agreement was to protect monopoly rights over technology, right? So now uh, 66 countries have become co-sponsors of the waiver proposal, over 100 countries support. And in a very surprise move, US has also supported because many say the US also realized that it will also have problem with its own vaccine producers over this patent regime, you know? So they actually applied, a, uh, uh, supported a limited version of the waiver, but the EU still resisting, led by Germany and Switzerland and UK. And you won't believe just a few countries are holding it up. So now as we are going into the ministerial, you will actually, I mean, we thought the waiver once the US had agreed, many other developed countries, I think even Canada, Australia, they all agreed to it, like they didn't oppose so that it would go through, but it has not gone through. And from what it looks like, it will not go through. Parallelly, what they have pushed is this, this, this Ottawa group, which is Canada, EU, and so on. They kept pushing so-called trade and health initiative from last year. And what did it say? It, should, it said that countries should lower import tariffs. Countries should not put up export restrictions. Countries should do e-commerce. Countries should use trade facilitation. All these are very, very problematic issues for developing countries. So these countries are basically pushing for more liberalization using COVID. Can you imagine like in a crisis, 
when we are all like grappling with the situation and developing countries are more hurt than developed countries because we don't even have the resources, we don't have the health infrastructure, we don't have access to the medicines, vaccines to deal with it. And then they are actually using this to push very, very damaging provisions. And now this has become the Walker process. It's called the WTO pandemic response. And this ambassador Walker from New Zealand is pushing these very uh, these provisions, which are basically about trade liberalization. And they are saying this is the WTO's pandemic response. So we've kind of tried to support a lot of the negotiators in Geneva to have a good position on this. It, Ambassador Walker has refused to almost put in language on IP and the TRIPS waiver. Because developing countries said that if you have to have a pandemic response, first you must resolve the waiver. But they're saying, oh, no, no, waiver is being discussed somewhere else. We will discuss other issues. And they're also refusing to put in good language on food security. So again, you see agriculture and TRIPS, both killing developing countries. And this step, from what it looks like, this pandemic response is going to go through. The waiver will not. And the pandemic response has very damaging provisions. And it is not including the issues of interest, like the waiver and food security that are of interest to developing countries. And then they keep saying, no, no, third way. Let's focus on manufacturing. Technology transfer is not needed. And EU is proposing alternatives, saying, oh, let's use TRIPS flexibilities. But as I told you, for so long, developing countries, when they tried to use TRIPS flexibilities, they were opposed by the EU and US. And now they are saying, oh, let's use TRIPS flexibilities. There's no need to kind of uh, have the waiver. Quickly, the agreement on agriculture, again, as I said, it's supposed to be neutral, but we've seen phenomenal entry of subsidized products from the developed countries, because what they did, you know, when the AOA was signed, they managed to get huge concessions for themselves. They said, we are giving such subsidies. How can we cut it? We will be it's politically, it will be suicide and so on. So they actually have much higher entitlements to give subsidies. These are called extra AMS entitlements. So developing countries can only give 10% of the value of their production for each product of so-called trade distorting subsidies. And then, uh, uh, but uh, developed countries get 5%, but then they have these huge extra entitlements. And you know, there's the green box, right? The green box is supposed to be those subsidies which do not distort trade. So it can be like research and which directly does not help the producer. So you can have research, you can have disaster response, this, that. They use the green box very, very creatively, like an accounting thing. They show that they are using green box and they give EU, US gives huge green box subsidies. But frankly, they have moved all their trade distorting support to the green box. So what they've done is they have really held our small producers hostage. And there are very good papers now on this. Angtad did some papers which showed that these subsidized products have hurt livelihoods of farmers and biodiversity, food security, and sovereignty in developing countries. And then many of you may be following, there's supposed to be this uh, now proposal from developing countries. It's called the public stockholding for food security. Uh, because what they started doing is, you know, in, for example, India has the PDS and we give MSP. And you know, the farmers protest, etc. It was a battle to protect the minimum support price, the MSP. 
but the that subsidy the subsidy on the msp is seen by wto as trade distorting so the developed countries the look at the hypocrisy i mean they have given huge subsidies themselves but then from 2012 they've been telling us so india indonesia kenya uh, many egypt tunisia uh, many countries uh, developing countries they are telling us oh you are ex- exceeding that 10% limit remember we have the 10% limit 10% of value of production is what we can give so developing countries put in this proposal saying and this is for public programs like you know how important these are for our food security purpose and for that you need to subsidize the consumer but unless you also subsidize the producer and support production you frankly cannot have the pds like you do you know how what a big program it is unless we procure from farmers supporting them and supporting domestic production we cannot support such a big program but basically us and all what they want to do is they want to sell to us they want that even our pds we should just buy from us farmers farming corporations and do the public program so they are very they are launching this attack on subsidy to farmers because that actually gives us self sufficiency that supports domestic production right so that has been under attack and developing countries fought for this in 2013 in the bali ministerial we got a peace clause which means that we can give these subsidies nobody will sue us but these subsidies are still trade distorting and they put in huge conditions the conditions are so much frankly no country can use it so india tried to use it and it has filed twice that it will use the peace clause for rice but it's facing massive challenge that you know it does not satisfy the conditions so we are having major problem so going into this ministerial we we the a permanent solution is mandated by the 2013 bali decision but we are not getting like developed countries are blocking it in every way possible and what we had seen in the chair's text uh, this time twice is that she is putting heavy conditions like you know only 15% um uh, developing countries can use this only if their procurement does not exceed 15% of production for india it's like 50 to 60% is procured so india will not be able to get benefit so they are challenging in every way and from the latest chair's text came out two days back it seems clear that they are again pushing it back we will not get it by this ministerial we will again they push the minister uh, deadline to the next ministerial and now two ministerials would have passed they are not simply giving it so this thing which was very important for us we are not getting other issues we had special safeguard mechanism and domestic support like we wanted western countries to cut their own unfair subsidies they have managed to turn it around in a way that you know actually we are being attacked or we we could we got this thing called development box subsidies which are just for low income resource poor farmers some development subsidies which we could give without limit they are saying no you cut that also so entire thing of domestic support they have totally turned it around so when we are going into the ministerial on agriculture none of our issues of interest they have all been already pushed out in the chair's text whereas like they are pushing market access transparency and those kind of issues which are totally against our interest last thing is the fishery subsidies negotiations you know that they've been going on since 2017 mandated by sdg 14.6 so sdg 14.6 with the objective of marine conservation 
they asked the WTO to discipline. I mean, there was already a WTO mandate from 2001, but they, nobody had acted on it. So after the SDG thing came, developed countries said, oh, we must discipline fisheries subsidies. But over there also, countries are struggling hard to protect small fishers. So what they have done is, so uh, developing countries and India, for example, have been asking for special and differential treatment because our fishery sector is still underdeveloped. We still need to give subsidies to develop them, to small, support small fishers. What they've done is they're giving these things only for two years, uh, you know, even to small fishers. And then only those fishers who fish within 12 nautical miles. So the current text says only those, sub those can get subsidies who fish just along the coastal line. But most small fishers, they go beyond 12 nautical miles. Sometimes they don't even know they've gone beyond it, you know, but that means they will not get subsidies. There's huge like push against any special and differential treatment. Of course, China is a problem because China has large fishing, industrial fishing, distant water fishing, large subsidy, etc. But India and all, though they are big, they have big fish volume. We also have, we have 26% of the world's fishers. So you can, if you kind of balance it on a per fisher way, it's not large. Even subsidies are not that large, but they have really, now the conditions on uh, special and differential treatment is such, India cannot benefit. India still has to fight to get exemption for a certain number of years. India had suggested that developing countries should get exemption for 25 years. I don't think that's anywhere definitely not going to be granted. On the other hand, interestingly, the big fishers, the industrial fishing nations like EU have managed to put in great exemptions for themselves. It's like if they can show they are maintaining fish stocks, they can give unlimited subsidies and only advanced countries who can monitor and measure fish stocks can make use of that exemption. We don't have the capacity. Most developing countries do not have the capacity. So what again we are seeing is we are losing on the trips front. We are losing on agriculture. We are going to lose heavily on fishery subsidies because I think this text is going to go through in the ministerial. So, so that's the thing. Now, pandemic response will go through. We will not be getting the waiver. But on agriculture, we are going to lose badly. We are not going to get the things we wanted. On fish, we will have very weak special and differential treatment. India will not get much benefit. And whatever India had proposed is all kind of taken out. And finally, the process of consultation is terrible. So they are on the, on the you know, pandemic response, on agriculture, just with 12 countries in the room or eight countries in the room, the chairs are discussing. Very, very opaque, very, very non-participatory. And uh, if even if a government, like, you know, in the fishery subsidies negotiation, if they are joining through online, they cannot put in proposals. So can you imagine, I mean, given Switzerland has, pretty high barriers for COVID, we will see how this ministerial goes because even participation and process are major, major issues.